Kneel before Zod! You can't go! All the plants are gonna die! I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil! Don't touch it! The name's Pliskin. No! Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Saturday the 14th, released October the 30th, 1981. It was written by Jeff Began and Howard R. Cohen, directed by Cohen and released by New World Pictures. Do you guys recall the last time a movie wasn't released on its title? Friday the 13th. Part two? No, more recent than that. Oh. Uh, the first uh, Monday in October? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Julie Corman, wife of New World Pictures president Roger Corman, raised $3 million to finance a horror parody film. It came hot on the heels of student bodies earlier in the year and was racing head-to-head with a United Artist title operating under the working title Thursday the 12th, which would eventually change its title to Pandemonium to avoid confusion with this film. We'll cover Pandemonium next season and other horror parodies, Class Reunion and Wacko. This film shot in three weeks and despite its disappointing box office performance was followed by a sequel, Saturday the 14th Strikes Back in 1988, though it comes from the same producer, writers, and director, none of the cast returned. Why would the sequel not be called Sunday the 15th? Because what the hell is that? (laughs) What is Saturday the 14th? Why isn't the sequel to Friday the 13th called Saturday the 14th? Branding! That film features Ray Walston as the grandfather of the family, but then it turns out he's not. He's actually like an alien or some shit. Um, Avery (laughs) Schreiber is is the dad. No, he's not a Martian, but that would be funny. Uh, Avery Schreiber is the dad and Patty McCormick is the mom. We start with an animated segment, which appears to simply be a filter over the house the film will take place in. Then we see a cartoon wolf howling at a moon and then breaking into a hacking cough. The rest of the credits play out over the animated house. The title Saturday the 14th drips with blood. Surely the film will offer all sorts of commentary on the Friday the 13th films. Specifically. Yes. Lightning strikes a dead bat in the yard and it catches fire and then human hands burst out of the ground and then disappear back into it. This is all still animated. We bat wipe to a live action shot of the house and the camera lands on two vampires, Waldemar and Yolanda, arguing in a car out front. Their license plate starts with HRC, which is, of course, a reference to Hillary Rodham Clinton. Just kidding. It's director Howard R. Cohen. They're wondering where their real estate agent is. She probably meant four o'clock in the afternoon. Four o'clock in the afternoon? When does she sleep? That afternoon, they speak with the agent about how close the schools are. Do you two have children? As often as we can. They don't seem bothered by the sun, so these must be reverse vampires. He's a reverse vampire. They they crave the sun. <laughs> reverse vampires. Yeah, I, I, I didn't understand when they were there at night because they said, well, when does she sleep? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well. Oh, right, because vampires can't be out in the day. Yeah. Oh, but, then but they can't. They're, they're right. They can't. It's, uh, it's overcast, you know. <laughs> Once this burns off, we're going to be in trouble. As long but, as they live in Seattle, it's fine. Yeah. Otherwise, they're shiny and yeah. sparkly. Also, he claims later to be 400 years old and he's not familiar at all with how humans sleep or function. Yeah, or say times. The address on this house, by the way, is 329 Elm Street, so it actually has more to do with the Nightmare on Elm Street series than it does with the Friday the 13th. And Nightmare on Elm Street didn't even start for another three years. Oh, really? Yeah. That wasn't even supposed no, to be a it's reference? not on purpose. 
They express an interest in buying the place, but the agent lets them in on an unfortunate development. Well, you see, a few days ago, right after you called me... We cut to the reading of a will. The executor here is being played by Stacy Keach Sr., father of Junior and James, who we saw together last season in The Long Riders. Most of the family are being cheated out of Uncle Henry's stuff, and at the end, John Hyatt, nephew of the deceased, played by Richard Benjamin, is bequeathed a cursed house. He and his wife Mary, played by the actor's actual wife, Paula Prentice, are ecstatic. Alas, the executor is unable to share the exact details of the curse. Curse? What curse? <laughs> yes, well, as I understand it... <laughs> Classic curse rules is yep, you can't... You gotta die right away. Well, no, you can't describe the details of the curse. Oh, that makes sense. Because then it wouldn't be a curse, right? No, that's not... That's uh, secrets or surprises. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess it all applies curses are just bad surprises when they pull up out front Mary assumes the house across the street is the one they've inherited and John breaks it to her that the dark overgrown monster house is theirs on their way in the real estate agent calls it a fixer upper but Mary doesn't seem bothered in the slightest okay I'm very confused by the fact that the vampires contacted a realtor that was willing and able to show them a house that apparently was never up for sale because it right. was either part of this will like a guy was either living in it or owned it or something and then he gave it away at no point was this up for sale how long have they known that the book is in this house that they want to get right i think that they just found that out but because they've been looking for it for a long time so i, yeah. I assume that they just found out that it's there and I, I just don't quite understand why why the realtor would be like, yeah, of course I could show you a house that is owned mm -hmm. by somebody and not for sale. But also, you are vampires who are up all night long. Just break a window and go get the book. Well, the can't. house is empty. They the person's go in. You have to be invited in. Do they? Yes. Do they? <laughs> no. Yeah. We'll come back to yeah, this they, later. They, they don't. They don't. Their dog, Rover, however, refuses to join the family in the house. Their daughter, Debbie, keeps saying the house is creepy and their son Billy is instantly missing. John says that Billy is probably hiding like when they went to Disneyland and he hid inside Pluto for two hours. Was there like the cast man? member? Was there a man inside there too? <laughs> this is just a, a costume. You can't hide a second person inside of it. <laughs> Someone has to play the butt end. Oh, okay. That's what happened? Or he hid between them? Kids just getting spit roasted in a Whoa. Pluto costume. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no. <laughs> When they close the door, a mirror falls off the wall and a black cat rushes past John. Lots of bad luck all over the place. Mary worries he might be in the same hiding place. Billy, if you're hiding inside a big dog again. What the fuck? <laughs> the family all search the house. Debbie notices eyes watching her through eye holes cut in paintings and screams. We'll never see these paintings again with the eyes missing. What, what happened there? I guess you just never see those again in a movie after they get used. Her parents run to her, and Billy appears shortly after, having replaced the fuse on the breaker downstairs to get the lights working again. The next night, the vampires talk to each other about something in the house that the family haven't found yet. Debbie tries to watch TV, but every channel is Twilight Zone reruns. Dad blames the storm outside, but when she checks the window, it's totally calm out there. Why would you complain about only being able yeah. to watch Twilight yeah. Zone reruns? Why do you want to watch anything that's not the Twilight Zone? That, that was like my favorite part of New Year's Eve. Yeah, they would do like, the marathons? Yeah. Yeah. In the kitchen, Mary dusts the cabinets, including a human skull on the shelf. John finds a note from his uncle with a cryptic message. Don't open the book. What book? He doesn't say. Is this note in the refrigerator? It is. <laughs> okay. That's where I would put that note. 
before I died. Like, oh, my left feel, arm's tingling. I'm, I'm going to put a note in the fridge. <laughs> Keep it fresh. Always leave a note. <laughs> Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> Perfect. We cut right to Billy reading something called The Book of Evil by the Fireplace. Page one reads, it gets bad on Friday the 13th, but it gets worse on Saturday the 14th. So I think they were just guessing what the Friday the 13th movies were about, and they had no idea. (laughs) Every time Billy turns a page, the monster in the accompanying illustration disappears from the book and appears in the room behind him. The first one reminds me a lot of the aliens from the Explorers. Oh, a little bit, yeah. Eyes up on tubes above their heads. He turns another page, and the fireplace flares up as a mummy on the page disappears with a sparkle and appears behind the couch he's sitting on. Back in the kitchen, Mary puts some gross-looking leftovers on a plate in the fridge, and a rat puppet steals them away. It literally looks like she's just plopping down a handful of meatloaf or something. What are you putting in here? Where did this food come from in the first place? We didn't see you cooking. Did you just make whatever this is and then put it on a plate in the fridge? Billy unleashes another monster into the property. The real estate agent pulls up outside, intending to act as a bio-exorcist and scare them out of the home, but she's attacked, screams, and is killed in the front yard. In their bedroom, John and Mary wonder what the sound was, and John guesses it was an owl. Mary looks out the window, and a bat is pressed against it, flapping its wings wildly. You're right. It was an owl. (laughs) What the hell? This is not the only time she calls the bats owls. (laughs) That night, as the family sleeps, monsters move all around the house. Billy wakes to a monster near his bed and screams, and Dad has to come and check on him. Dad never sees the monster and returns to his room. Somehow, John doesn't notice that his wife got out of bed and talks to her for a full ten seconds after climbing into their small bed before realizing that she's gone. Mary? Mary? When he goes to check on uh, the kids screaming, yeah, he reaches for the lamp to turn on, but instead of turning on, he picks it up and throws it to the ground. Does he? It's supposed to look like he knocked it over. On accident? But he just clearly has grabbed the lamp, picks it up off the gr- off the nightstand, and just tosses it to the ground, leaves it there, turns it on on the ground, and then it's yeah. the scene. That's yeah, it's very, very weird. weird. I assumed that was going to come back because it was such a weird action to take, but it doesn't. Back in Billy's room, he tries to reason with the monster for leniency. I didn't tell. <laughs> okay, I told. But he didn't believe me. When John eventually finds Mary, she's being weird, and we get an insert of a vampire bite on her neck. Vampire this, owl. This no. barely <laughs> comes back at all. No, what do you mean? She's a vampire now? Yeah, well, she's, she, she's there's possessed. a lot of things throughout the rest of the movie where where this seems to influence her. Now. No, I get that, but it doesn't seem like it played a part other than like more details confirming that she's a vampire. Like it 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 never serves a purpose that she is a vampire. Sure, it does. Okay, well, we'll come back to it. Billy digs the Book of Evil out of his blankets and uses it to defend himself. It seems to have a magical protective spell. Billy chases the monster around the house with the book until he knocks it out his bedroom window and it dies in the yard. In their car out front, Waldemar admits that he's been looking for this book for 300 years, and whoever controls it can control the world. In the morning, Mary cooks John some breakfast, and they both deny having done the dishes last night. The flowers in the centerpiece wilt in stop motion to a slide whistle effect. Get it? Because the flowers died. Why did the flowers die? Is that part of the curse? Yeah. Uh, And uh, so they argue about who who had done the dishes. For a long time. Yeah, and then Debbie comes in and reaches into the sink, and there's like a rubber glove, but it's only got four fingers. Right. But it's from some giant monster that <laughs> right. we'll never see. That cleans the house. Mm-hmm. That, that did the dishes for them. Debbie shows up and says she didn't do them either, and obviously it wasn't Billy. 
Billy is searching the bookshelf for more magical literature he can use to retrap the monsters in his book. He asks Mom if she cleaned his room because apparently he can't find it now. In the front yard, John and Mary cross paths with their neighbor who left his badge at home and he's running back for it. So reassuring to have a policeman living next door. So did the mom clean the room? Yes, she did clean the room. And she moved the book. Okay, because I, I feel like... Later we'll establish that she could not have moved the book. N- not only that, but I thought that there was some other creature cleaning the house because yeah. it seems like a lot of work and she doesn't seem to be well, totally with maybe it. Maybe she didn't do it because he does say, Mom, did you clean my room? And she says no, right? Doesn't she say she didn't do she it? She said she picked up a few things. Okay. And that was it. But it's very clean. Yeah. Upstairs, Debbie prepares a bath for herself. While she undresses, we see a shark fin swimming around in the tub, and the phone starts ringing. She yells for Billy to answer it, but he doesn't. When she gets it herself, it's just a plot device on the phone. Your telephone is going to be out of service for the next hour. Good. Now maybe I can take my bath. This is a recording. She steps into the tub and leans back with her eyes closed, and we can see the fin swimming around between her legs. Do you guys recall the last time we saw something swimming in a tub with a naked girl that she was unaware of? I feel like I should remember this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Was it the unseen? No. In the unseen, we just had the guy peeking at her through the Oh, okay. And you're trying to remember bathtub scenes. What's the thing in the tub? A snake. Oh, why was there a snake in a bathtub? I don't remember. Deadly blessing. Mm. They put the snake in there. The killer put the snake in the bath. Oh, okay. I was also surprised uh, that I was like, well, this is Roger Corman. Here we go. We're going to have nudity. But it's like, how old is this girl? Right? Yeah. She seems really young. She's she's old enough to have been nude in this. Right. And Roger Corman tried really hard mm-hmm. to get naked shots of her in this movie, and she refused at every turn. So good for her. And, and lucky her for not just getting replaced. Because that's what he would normally do. He must just not have had time. Debbie sits up worried and yanks a rubber ducky out of the water and then laughs at her own panic when suddenly a full-size creature from the Black Lagoon costume rises up out of the water in front of her. She screams and climbs out of the bath and the monster stands with her. His monster hissing noises are translated by subtitles as, Excuse me, miss, have you seen anything of a large old book? I really wanted the reverse angle to translate her screams as a no. Like... (laughs) That, I, that's basically what she means. I wish that they had continued this gag throughout the rest of the that movie. That the monsters were trying to be polite and just that talking. Not only was everybody trying to be polite, but that we got a translation of everything they were yeah. trying to say. Anytime they're strangling someone, they're like, just calm down. It's okay. Everything will be all right. Here, let me... let me Squeeze your larynx <laughs> glands. <laughs> that always calms me down. <laughs> She wraps herself in a towel and runs downstairs screaming for Billy's help. She goes from wet and covered in bubbles in one shot to totally dry and bubble-free in the span of a cut. Billy doesn't believe her about the monster at first, but when he sees it coming down the stairs, he tells his sister to distract the monster so he can go find the book, but it's not where he left it. Why wouldn't he? He's seen monsters in the house. Why would he not believe her? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. He tries to call the police for help, but the phones are out, remember? Because we established that earlier, just for this one moment. Wait, the, and the parents aren't home because they right. went out. But how did they get out? Well, uh, They're not locked into the house yet. Yeah. But the dad said he saw a storm earlier, and we established that the storm keeps them in. I Yeah. I mean, it's a different storm than what they saw before because it's not like a rainstorm with lightning. It looks like a blizzard or something. 
later. But what? It, okay, but the I don't know what the storm but is. But okay, when he when the dad mentions the storm early in the movie, mm-hmm. she opens the door and sees no storm. Right. Who opens the door and sees no storm? The Debbie. daughter. The daughter. Okay. And so I does she open the door? or Does she look out the window? She opens the door. Okay. And so there's no storm with that door. What the hell was the dad talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we hear lightning striking when they're watching the Twilight Zone. I, I assume that's what he's talking about when he says the storm outside is. Oh, doing so maybe it. he didn't actually look. He just assumed. The neighbor cop hears Debbie screaming and rushes inside. He unloads several bullets into the creature, but is ultimately wrestled to the floor and killed by it. Debbie faints from fright, so her brother drags her back up the stairs into the bath and leaves her in the tub, still wrapped in a towel, hoping she will misremember what happened as a dream. The monster drags the cop neighbor out the front door. The Rod Serling sound-alike on the television mentions the Bluebird of Happiness as another episode of The Twilight Zone starts up. Do you guys recall the last time we mentioned the Bluebird of Happiness? Was it The Incredible Shrinking Woman? No. Uh, I do remember it, but I can't Oh, wait. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, it's the same person in, a, was it nine to five? No. Oh, there were bluebirds in there though. But the bluebird of happiness. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I know it. I have a hint lined up when you're ready for it. I guess, yeah. The hint is that the film was originally called the hamster of happiness. Oh, the uh, second hand hearts? No. That's right. That's second it? hand oh, hearts, okay. yeah. <laughs> He's like, they didn't have any bluebirds, but I got you this hamster. It's the hamster of happiness. <laughs> John and Mary return, and Billy says that Debbie's taking a bath. Mom goes to check on her and finds her asleep in her towel in the tub. I would be concerned. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, you can't sleep like this in a bathtub. Debbie wakes with a scream, but concludes, as Billy planned, that she dreamed everything. Downstairs, Billy wrestles with the bookcase for control of a specific book. Debbie complains to her mom that more of the house is creepy, but mom informs her that they're hosting a party this weekend for the entire family to show it off. This Saturday night? The 13th. Mom, Friday's the 13th. The 14th, then. Saturday the 14th. Debbie, whose favorite word is creepy, tells John that their vampire neighbors asked if they wanted to sell any antique books out of the house. Boy, are they creepy. Mom is still trying to clean up the house and ventures into the attic. She keeps hearing squeaks, but not wherever they're coming from. She can't figure it out. She eventually finds a cat and so assumes there can't be mice in here, but she still hears squeaks. Eventually, she notices a whole collection of bats hanging from the attic ceiling. God, look at all these owls. She is scratched and bitten by like 30 bats, despite being, I thought, a vampire. Aren't you guys on the same team? Well, also, this is actually a genuinely horrifying scene right. for me. It's, it it's, reminded me of the birds. Yeah, it, it's shot very well to be scary. Yeah. And, and she's like screaming and he keeps cutting to... Like the bats clawing and tearing at her skin. Yeah. And it's like, like oh when the God. birds are attacking Tippy Hedron against the door in the in the upstairs scene. I'm going to argue that she's not a vampire, but I I feel like in vampire lore, if you've been bitten, you are sort of under their power that mm-hmm. you have to do their bidding. So okay. I think that she's still a person, just like everybody else. But but she has been entranced. Yeah, she's a sleeper agent. Oh. We hear the voice of Waldemar telling Mary to go to sleep. In the kitchen downstairs, Dad is looking through the phone book for exterminators. He asks who ate his sandwich, and Billy is quick to cover for whichever monster ate the sandwich. Why? I don't know. I guess he he's cares. just trying. I don't understand why he's trying so hard to also, cover up the monsters. Yeah, but if I put set a sandwich on a table and it was gone five minutes later, I wouldn't ask which one of the kids ate it. I would just be like, oh, one of the kids ate it. I'll make another sandwich. But also, you just know it was Jack. Yeah, it was Jack. <laughs> Obviously, it was Jack. 
John calls the pest control place and tells them that he has bats in his belfry. Initially, the man promises to send someone over Tuesday, but John assures him it's an emergency and they need someone now. The exterminator sends an employee named Van Helsing to 329 Elm Street. The man is very excited, like he's been waiting to take care of this particular case of bats for a long time. You're the man with bats in his belfry, eh? You're the exterminator? Yeah. You don't look like an exterminator. That's to fool the bats. <laughs> I like Severn Darden. <laughs> Severn Darden uh, made this second half of the movie bearable. Yeah. Van Helsing asks if they found any special old books since moving in, and Billy knows enough to lie that he hasn't found any such book. In fact, he claims to throw books away the second he's done reading them. Debbie says the guy is creepy because she doesn't know that many words, but also because he's legitimately creepy. Van Helsing tells them that soon there will be nothing to be frightened of, and on cue, Mary upstairs freaks out and screams for like 10 seconds, and I don't even get what triggered this. Uh, he 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 quotes the motto of the exterminator. It's like, there will be nothing to fear, or, or something like, like ever again. And, like, and, he, and he, puts, he pulls his cloak up in the air like a and bat. And that's enough to freak her out? Well, because he looks like a bat. Because he looks exactly like an owl to her? Yeah. <laughs> Van Helsing, for some reason, assumes that he'll be staying here with the family and eating dinner with them, and it doesn't phase John at all. He leads Van Helsing to their guest room and tells Debbie to get dinner started. Debbie tells Billy that they need to convince their parents to sell this home, but Billy explains that the will stipulates they can't sell it or else they have to split the cost of the house with all the other family members who didn't get shit. As Debbie prepares to start cooking, she unwraps what should be meat on a kitchen island and it is instead a human head is this an island or is it just a table it's just a table. It's a table. but it's She's, the police officers right head. it's the police officer's head who we saw dragged out the front door she screams and runs from the room john finds mary in their bed just before debbie wanders in screaming that the cop next door has been beheaded but she doesn't because she's not able to form all the words Help! what's the matter what what the man next door is in the kitchen! When they return to the kitchen, it comes with a fully cooked meal on the table. Mary tells John that she's pregnant again, and he's ecstatic. Van Helsing gets impatient playing nice guy and becomes an aggressive dinner guest. Finally, he tells the family about the book. It can save the world. It's very important. I've followed this book around the world for many, many years. More years than you would care to hear of. And now, at last, I know where it is! Where is it? What? 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 It's gone. John thinks things have finally gone over the deep end and wants to sell the house. Mary tells him it's a non-starter. They consider canceling the family party on Saturday, but Van Helsing says the more the merrier. That night in her room, Mary is hypnotized by more commands from Waldemar. Or as Talk to Text would say, Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> he asks about the book. Bring me the book and we'll fly off together. She seems to know right where it is, but then when she tries to touch it, sparks shoot out of her hand, presumably because she's a reverse vampire now, but I thought she already was when she moved it the last time. She shouldn't have been able to move this book ever. How did it get in here? Right. Because none of the monsters can move it. Right. Only humans can move it, and the well, only humans who know that it exists yeah. are her and her son. I don't, I don't think she cleaned up the room. I think they just have, like, house elves. And but the house elves wouldn't be able to touch it unless they're human. Oh, that's true. I don't know who moved this book. I don't Maybe know. Maybe the gorilla it moved it because he's decidedly not a monster. By now, Van Helsing is perusing a spell book for help locating the Book of Evil. Outside, Waldemar, or Baltimore, <laughs> as my talk to text would say it, panics that Van Helsing has the book already. Yolanda suggests they head into the house together. 
Later that night, Debbie gets lost on her way to the bathroom and finds herself in the kitchen, where all the monsters are picking out on whatever food they can find. They've completely demolished the room, but amazingly, no one else in the house seems to hear all this noise happening. It's like super loud. People are slamming cabinets and breaking things, and, and nobody comes to hear it. On top of not being affected by sunshine, these vampires can apparently enter the home without an invite because they're just in the house now. Well, unless the mom in- invited them in. Is that Does that count as inviting if... If a possessed yeah. person if you invites possess you in? them and invite yeah. yourself? I think so. I think that's a self-invite, but maybe that still counts. They come face-to-face with Van Helsing and claim they are owed the book. Van Helsing threatens to weaken them with a drop of something. Does he call it special blood or something? He's got like a, yeah, he's got like a jar of like dry, dry ice, ice basically. Liquid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they retreat as bats back out of the house. After they leave, we see he's just holding a bowl of dry ice that's fogging over. And then he keeps putting his face into it and inhaling this stuff. It's like, you're not supposed to do that. It's not good for you. Some vampires will believe anything. Billy says if his family's not going to leave, that he'll do it himself. And Van Helsing invites him to try the door. When he opens it up, he sees a terrible storm, almost like the sandworms of the afterlife. And there's nowhere to go. Billy is annoyed that he has to wait for the Saturday party. He tears Saturday the 14th off the daily kitchen calendar and when he tosses the balled up page into the trash, it explodes in a puff of smoke like flash paper. I don't know why this is happening. This is like the plants dying. It's just yeah, the, funny little gags. I, and I don't, are they gags? Like It's it, just like it we just stopped at a magic stuff. store on the way to set today. Yeah. Everything has to, nothing can just happen. Right. Like if something happens, it has to happen like, like even if you would just close the door, as soon as you walked away, the handle would fall off, or yeah. or a clock would go cuckoo. Like I mean, yeah. it, everything has to be accompanied by something. Billy prepares a cup of coffee, and after Van Helsing refuses it, he gives it to his father. John notices a pair of eyeballs floating in the drink. He covers it with a napkin rather than mention it to anyone. Here, take this coffee. <laughs> I can't stand the sight of it. Get it? Because the coffee has sight. Debbie comes down and is similarly frustrated with the house. She leaves the room for a moment trying to escape, and we just hear the storm outside from the front door until she slams it shut again. The kids are bored and want something to do, so Van Helsing suggests they prepare snacks for tonight's party. John goes to check on Mary in the bedroom and finds lots of dirt under the sheets. She claims she must have spilled a flower pot. I guess she's just trying to make her sleeping place more like a grave. Well, uh, yeah, this leans more into the vampire... Esque-ness. That she wants to be in the ground. Well, uh, vampires. One of the things that they they have to do is they have to sleep uh, in the dirt of their homeland. Oh, okay. So Dracula's coffin, when it was brought over from uh, Transylvania, had was On the also Demeter. was yeah was full of dirt. Oh, okay. So it brought him to England. Okay, but then it shipwrecked, and there was nobody left on the boat, right? Well, it didn't shipwreck. It just it just sailed into yeah, the harbor. Yeah, it just it just bottomed out. Yeah. yeah. Mary tries to kiss her husband and then leans in to bite his neck when someone rings the doorbell. He stands to walk away, narrowly avoiding her teeth. For some reason, as guests arrive for the party, the door opens normally. The first ring is a delivery from the liquor store. Yeah? Hi. Liquor store? No. Private residence. Yeah. No, 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 I am from the liquor ah. store. Billy tries to take advantage of the uncursed door, but when he opens it up again to sneak out, the storm blows in. Turns out, even the delivery boy can't leave now. Boy, these storms come up all of a sudden this time of year. As they sit and wait for more guests, the television plays another Twilight Zone, and they can't turn it off. 
The delivery boy sits next to Debbie and keeps giving her looks until she shifts away from him on the couch. Finally, the doorbell rings again as guests arrive, and Mary arises to answer the door. But Mom, there's something horrible out there! When Mary opens the door, there's no storm, just family members. You really are living here. And she closes the door in their faces. You're right, there is something horrible out there. Again, there's a few times I chuckle because you just have to. Yeah. Like you're just watching this is like, oh God, I if just something's some- unfunny for long enough, you'll laugh at anything. Yeah. Um when Richard Benjamin looks at the delivery boy sitting staring at his daughter, he goes he goes to uh Van Helsing and goes like, Who's that kid on the couch? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, seven hours asleep and goes like he takes like a good long look and goes, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way he does it. But it's also funny because he knows who that is. Mary offers to take Lucille's coat, but she refuses and explores the house alone. She finds a closet to judge and starts hanging her coat in it, but finds an identical one inside. When she turns to walk away, the hanging coat grabs her and the door slams shut. (laughs) There's another knock at the door, and it's the cop's wife looking for her husband. She assumes he's working overtime and that his coworkers never bothered to call her. Like, he's been gone for, what, three days now or something? It's like... Yeah, I'm sure he's just working overtime. They forgot to mention that he's on a 60-hour shift. She brought an electric can opener as a housewarming gift. Van Helsing makes more dry ice drinks. These seem dangerous. Don't drink dry ice, kids. Eventually, the family realizes that Lucille has disappeared, and Billy is also missing. John asks his daughter who the boy following her around is, and she has no idea but seems annoyed by him. Van Helsing warns John and Mary that if they don't find the boy, that the plan will never work. He challenges everyone at the party to locate the kid in exchange for a prize. You've got to keep the boy! No! Uh, no. No. Uh, you, 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 uh, uh you got an electric can opener. Good. Oh. <laughs> He's so excited. You, you get to keep the boy. It's like, that's what people like that, right? People like boys. In the kitchen, one of the monsters is tidying up with a feather duster. Debbie calls Billy's name up to the attic, but we can only hear the owls inside. Mary notices the book is missing from the cabinet where she hid it. Van Helsing dumps a glass of chemicals on the family's shag carpet to start a reaction. It's just immediately on fire at his feet. Van Helsing tries to summon the boy by painting a 666 on the wall, but accidentally writes 667. Now this worked on that other little boy. How the hell did it go? It's like, what? Are you implying that you worked on, like, the Omen Kid or something? Or you worked for the Thorns? I... I like the joke better in the Burbs, where their house is six six nine, and then it flips over. Yeah, when they then and the bees come out, <laughs> hit them with the bees. The wife of the cop from next door is searching the kitchen for the boy when the feather duster monster grabs her by the shoulder. She's terrified until she sees her husband's head on the table and assumes he's here to help her and alive. Ernie, oh thank God you're here. Ernie, do something. Upstairs, another family member is seemingly strangled to death by what looks like a plain old gorilla, not even a monster. Like, they were just like, does this count as a monster costume, Roger? It's like King Kong. Whatever. But small. It's in the truck. Just put it on. What was the other movie? Uh, Smokey Bites the Dust. Yeah, Smokey Bites the Dust. There's just a gorilla in the bedroom. For no reason. There's just a gorilla costume. The monster, you're taking over the house! We are all doomed! The doorbell rings again, and everyone offers to get it at once, but it swings open on its own. Waldemar and Yolanda walk in on their own, uninvited again. They bring with them Billy, so maybe he invited them, with the Book of Evil. Get in the book, Billy! He's the only one who could get rid of the monsters. He is the monster. Billy uses the power of the book to float into the air, I think. Is he doing that, or are they doing it to him? I, I don't know. But also, he says that the, he's the monster. 
I know because they showed me you in this book. It's like, but when you open this, when you see the monster in the book, he is. That should have summoned him to wherever you were. Yeah. Maybe he saw him. No, but then they disappear from the book. That's the whole thing is like the monster's in the page. So you can't show in the book (laughs) that he's evil because he's not in it anymore. Yeah, it disappears from the scene that it's in. But what if he saw him? He wouldn't be in the book if he's in the real world. What if he saw him when he was originally looking at monsters, saw him in the book, then he disappeared out of the book like he saw the other monsters disappear out of the book? Ah, well, then he would have known from the very beginning that. Yeah, but this guy just showed up with the kid. Like, this is the first time the kid's seeing him. So this is the first time the kid's having this connection. Maybe that's true. Van Helsing threatens to take the book and rule the world with it. He and Waldemar make weird sounds back and forth with their mouths, jackhammers, steam engines, animal calls. Van Helsing does Egg Shen's lightning hands from the beginning of Big Trouble in Little China. The bad guys and the other bad guy make faces back and forth for a few minutes. The 667 on the wall catches fire and an ADR line from John announces that the fireplace is burning as though that were something to worry about like, oh no, there's a fire in the fireplace. Everyone run, run to the storm. The vampires hold hands and Billy rises higher and higher into the air. Monsters are crowding in from all around as the men trade fireballs and lightning bolts. Debbie thinks things are at their creepiest when a monster punches through the window and then grabs her boob, so she runs to her parents. To keep the book away from Van Helsing, the boy just hands it to him. (laughs) Like, here's the book you wanted, I should have given it to you days ago. Suddenly, the book is glowing red and absorbs Van Helsing. We won! We won! Rover, the dog from the start of the film, is apparently coming back now for the first time. Waldemar explains what happened, because it isn't at all clear. He thought destroying the book would free the monster. That wasn't the way it worked. That's not how any of this worked. <laughs> the liquor store delivery man gives them a fond farewell on wait, his way wait, out. But so, how does it work? It, it, oh, we don't. That doesn't really matter, right? You don't care about that. I don't understand. You don't care what happened. What happened to all the rest of the monsters? They, you don't they care. All, they all died. Nobody cares what happened. They, when he died, they all died. Well, when when the book when was you destroy the book, it kills everything that was in the. But book. But how was the book destroyed? Because he destroyed it. Yeah, with Van, magic. Van Helsing thought by destroying the book. It would it would release all the monsters and and them from the rules of the book. But it just destroyed them all. But it just destroyed yeah. them. I didn't all realize so. he destroyed the book. I thought the book was destroying him. No, I, well, I I, I think I mean it, I guess it was. Yeah, but. it was. And but I think you know his plan was to destroy it. I think that's that's why he was dumping the chemicals on the carpet because I think he was trying to figure out a way to to destroy the to book. destroy the yeah. book. And I mean technically, if you destroy every copy of a book about a monster, then that monster doesn't exist anymore. Because if it only existed in book form, then it's gone. It's gone forever. Is it gone? It's lost to memory. Does it live in the minds of the people? It'll die three times. Love that monster. The first time when someone sets it on fire. The second time when someone says its name for the last time. And the third time when someone thinks about it for the last time. Uh, I like the rules of New Nightmare where just so many people believe in it. That it just comes true? Mm Mm-hmm. That's how it works in the uh, black and white games too. The, the, <laughs> the gods are most powerful if they just yeah amass the most believers. I think they've had enough of this house. I think so too. It's time they lived happily ever after. And us too? Of course, darling. The vampires who live across the street in the Nightmare on Elm Street looking house, which is actually on Elm Street in this universe, trade homes with them, so everybody's happy in the credits roll. Yeah, they just—they just. Oh, that makes more sense. I'm like, they really fixed that place up quick. Oh, they no, switched they, houses. They moved to the house that she thought was theirs in the first place. But, 
But whose house was that? Does the vampires. The vampires they moved apparently into that bought house. that house when they couldn't buy this house. Wow, what a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, Is there a single moment of parody uh, uh, with uh, regard to any horror film that existed ever? The closest thing I can think of would be when she's in the bathtub and they're doing like a rip-off Jaws theme. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, they do. I didn't even notice they do. that. yeah. That's not <laughs> that a slasher film. Work. Why is it called Saturday the 14th? Why is it called that? This has nothing to do with Friday the 13th or slasher films in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say that the Jaws thing in the t- in the tub was a Deadly Blessing reference, possibly. Like, is are there other examples before Deadly Blessing of the of a thing swimming around between a girl's legs in a bathtub? I, mean, I can't think of any. Not. I mean, again, I, it I must think, have happened. I think of Nightmare on Elm Street is like right, the and first. that was three years after this from the director of Deadly Blessing. I feel like some horror film has to have done a bathtub scene because it's such a vulnerable place. Yeah. And also naked girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially. But it just seems like like they didn't even bother to buy a ticket to Friday the 13th before they wrote their Friday the 13th parody. Well, but but that's just the thing. They probably couldn't. Or, I mean, I guess They Roger, couldn't afford a ticket. <laughs> Roger Corbett's like, $4 <laughs> for all 10 of us? It's like, just look at the poster. You can You can get enough from that. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, um, I guess Dracula, because he's a vampire. But is that parody? He's just I, dressed I as Dracula. I, I feel like yeah, it's just it's just a a comedy movie with monsters in it. Yeah, I guess it's a comedy. <laughs> yeah, comedy is a strong word. It's still funnier than than Saturday the Fourteenth Strikes Back, which yeah. is so much worse. But I did watch it. There there is one line that I chuckled at. There's a scene where uh, this kid has this like sort of um, supernatural advisor type character. And he goes down into the basement and the guy tells him to look into this pool that he has set up in the pool. And he's like, what? I just see a couple of fish. And he's like, well, I see doom. You really see fish? <laughs> like, like he like suddenly br- breaks like character to be like, you see fish? And he's like, yeah, one, two, three, four, six fish in there. And then there's just an overhead shot of six fish swimming around in this like kiddie pool in the basement. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? That was such a weird moment, but it made me laugh. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of this film could have been salvaged with with just a, a an ounce of effort yeah like like oh i I've, unra- I've unwrapped this thing and there's a human head i run upstairs and then there's somehow a perfectly cooked meal did the whole family get murdered did every single family member die because we only yes. see the the old woman get eaten by a closet the neighbor lady gets killed by the feather duster in the kitchen and the other woman gets st- strangled by a gorilla yeah. but we don't see any men get attacked even uh, I think and they're I, all just gone yeah i think the assumption is that they've all been eliminated yeah but but to what end i don't know van helsing seemed very adamant about having more bodies right in the house but it, it didn't seem to be part of a ritual or yeah. or anything and it's not going to be an issue that uh, i think it'd be funny actually if the if the vampires moved in to the to the haunted house and they just moved into the cop's house because the cop and his wife are both dead <laughs> Nobody lives there anymore. Oh, maybe that's <laughs> like, oh, there's an empty house next door. Yeah, maybe that's the house that they Maybe didn't. that is the house they're in. It's not, though. We saw that house. It's across the street in a different direction. Anyway, that's uh, that's Saturday the 14th. What do we think? Thumbs up, thumbs down? I'd give it a thumbs down. Thumbs down, yeah. yeah it's a thumbs it's, down. This is a worthless worthless thing. There's no reason to see this. Um, What are we d- thinking letterboxed here? Um, I have it at... 125 out of 153 
Uh, it's below all the marbles and above rich and famous. All right. I have it at 149, uh, which is just under Choo Choo and the Philly Flash and just above another Roger Corman title, Smokey Bites the Dust. I have it at 138, which puts it just below Final Exam, which poster looks like a Friday the 13th movie. Right. And just above Tattoo. Nice. Our writer-director was Hillary Rodham Clinton. No, it was uh, Howard R. Cohen. This was his first directing credit. Are you shocked? <laughs> he has writing credits on Deathstalker, Barbarian Queens 1 and 2, many episodes each of Rainbow Bright and Care Bears, and then a couple Deathstalker sequels. And he's back to write the sequel to this movie. The other writer credit went to Jeff Begun. <laughs> B-E-G-U-N. Begun. I, I, I think Begun? I, I think it's funny to have a name like begun as a story credit. Yeah. It's like, I got this idea. Yeah. Kinda, I have begun. <laughs> I have some notes written down. Yeah. Or it's pronounced Began and he invented those like fake bacon strips for dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Another story credit for Pretty Smart in 87. And then he has a full writer credit on Neon City in 1991. Uh, it looks like a Mad Max clone starring Michael Ironside and Vanity that I feel like I have to see now. Uh, producer credit here for Julie Corman. She has an acting credit as a mall shopper with a baby in Chopping Mall. Lately, she has a lot of producer credits on a lot of those Dino Shark, Sharktopus, Sharktopus versus Whalewolf type movies. <laughs> That's a real one. Whalewolf. <laughs> I love that. Uh, music here is from Parmer Fuller. Uh, he's back for the second film, which has much better music than this one, but uh, they're both pretty bad. Cinematographer Daniel LeCambre. LeCambre? LeCambre? was the DP on Humanoids from the Deep and Battle Beyond the Stars, and next season he's back to, like, Kiss My Grits. The editor here was Kent Beta. He was a co-producer on S. Darko. He was an assistant editor on Rock and Roll High School, Humanoids, and Howling, George of the Jungle, Mr. Magoo, Dude, Where's My Car? After this, he cuts This is Spinal Tap, Fright Night, Inner Space, Gremlins 2, The Flintstones, Scooby-Doo 2000, Angry Birds 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the way he said Gremlins 2, the Flintstones, like that was like Gremlins 2, colon, the Flintstones. Yeah. <laughs> People forget those were the same movie. Well, because I, I always say Gremlins 2, the new badge. Yeah, I always say Gremlins 2, the Flintstones. <laughs> Checkmate. The other editor was Joanne D'Antonio, who has sound department credits on Terms of Endearment, Apocalypse Now, Empire Strikes Back, and Exorcist 3. Richard Benjamin played John Hyatt. He was cast in this role on the strength of his performance in earlier horror comedy Love at First Bite, which I had previously complimented in our review of Zorro the Gay Blade, also starring George Hamilton. Not, Richard, not Witch's Brew? Uh, no, because no one saw that movie or knows it exists except for the three of us. <laughs> but um, Love at First Bite is not a good movie, I should, I should specify, but Richard Benjamin is great in it, and he steals every scene where he shows up. He's really, really funny. Uh, we've seen him so far in Catch-22, Last Married Couple in America, How to Beat the High Cost of Living, Witch's Brew, and First Family. Before these, he was in Westworld and The Last of Sheila. He also has lots of directing credits, mostly for titles that start with M, for whatever reason, like My Favorite Year, Money Pit, My Stepmother Was an Alien, Mermaids, Made in America, Milk Money, Mrs. Winterborn, and Marcy X. That has to be on purpose, right? At a certain point. Paula Prentice played Mary Hyatt, she was also in Catch-22 with her husband, actor Richard Benjamin. She's in The Stepford Wives. We've seen her in The Black Marble, and she's back later this season for Buddy Buddy. We mentioned in an earlier episode that her sister, Anne Prentice, was sent to prison for assaulting their father and, while in prison, hired a fellow inmate to kill her father and her brother-in-law, actor Richard Benjamin, from this film. Jeffrey Tambor played Waldemar. 
This is only his second role, and it's the first time we've seen him. He has lots of voice acting work, but is probably best known for his parts on The Larry Sanders Show, Arrested Development, and Transparent. He hasn't worked very much since several accusations of sexual misconduct ended his lead role on Transparent. He also has a documented habit of verbal abuse on set that was unfortunately turned most recently on the late great Jessica Walter, and I won't be sad if Tambor is all done working. I like the movies that he's done, but he's not a nice person, and he can be done. He probably has enough money to survive on. Severn Darden played Van Helsing. He was Jehovah, the preacher in Vanishing Point. He's Culp in Conquest of and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. We've seen him on the show so far in Small Circle of Friends, Hopscotch, and In God We Trust. Carrie Michelson played Debbie Hyatt. She's best known as Katie Kaniski in Gimme a Break. Roger Corman pressured her to appear fully nude for the bath scene, but she refused and made it into the final cut somehow. Good for her. Kevin Brando played Billy Hyatt. He played eight-year-old Chuck Norris in The Octagon and a random neighborhood child in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. He also provides the voices of Schroeder, Franklin, and occasionally Charlie's singing voice in various Charlie Brown TV specials. Rosemary DeCamp played Aunt Lucille. She was Hilda Zorba in the original 13 Ghosts. Stacy Keach Sr. played the attorney or the executor of the will. He's the father of Stacy and James Keach who appeared as Frank and Jesse James in The Long Riders last season. And after this, Keach Sr. shows up in Armed and Dangerous, Pretty Woman, Cobb, and as a judge in an episode of Stacy Jr.'s Mike Hammer Private Eye series. Roberta Collins played Cousin Rhonda. She was Clara in Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive and Miss Dice in Vendetta. Paul Mousy Gardner played The Major. We saw him last as an executive in Cheech and Chong's next movie. Alan Joseph was Uncle Bert. He was Babe's father in Marathon Man. Mr. X in Eraserhead, and we saw him last as the jeweler who told the Raging Bull that he should have brought in his whole championship belt and not just hammered the jewels out of it. Michael Miller played Ernie Muldowney, the cop. He was Fowler in Three Days of the Condor. Patrick Campbell played the mailman. He was Lester in Smokey Bites the Dust. I think that's everything for Saturday the 14th. If you'd like to share your thoughts, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing shock treatment which IMDb describes like so. Janet and Brad become contestants on a game show and wind up as captives. We leave you now with a trailer for Shock Treatment. That's very good. Hello, I'm Dr. Cosmo McKinley. I'd like to tell you about a new film from the gang that gave you the Rocky Horror Show. Shock Treatment. <laughs> I'm not a locum with no to suture myself. I've been a cynic for too many years. Playing doctor and nurse, it can be good for your health. I've seen clinics with those gimmicks in tangents. But if you open your heart to a smooth operator, he'll take you for all that you've got. He'll hand you a curse that'll be with you later. It'll shake it the way he takes off Like a shot You need to be the Get you jumping like a real life wire Need to be the shot treatment So look out, mister Don't you blow your last resistor For a vista that'll mystify ya You're blinded by romance You're blinded by science your condition is critically grave But don't expect mercy from such an alliance Suspicion of tradition, so you wave You need a bit of a 
you'll be pathetically crazy about shock treatment. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs>